0: Welcome to Bank Talk with the Institute of International Bankers, where we talk with and about the foreign banking community in the United States. Thank you so much for joining us, and please be sure to subscribe so you never miss a beat with the IIB. Welcome
1: to IIB Bank Talk. Today, we're gonna explore how firms can improve operational resilience and cybersecurity through vendor and supplier risk management and ESG programs. This is an ongoing challenge made even more critical as data volumes and data sources continue to grow. How can the industry better leverage this data, improve analysis and drive more effective risk management outcomes in areas like cybersecurity and operational resilience. Helping us to answer those questions today are some experts from Exeger, a global leader in compliance and risk management solutions with hundreds of former banking compliance, general counsels, investigations, and intelligence professionals, as well as in-house developers and data scientists serving financial institutions, corporates, and government agencies' clients, and importantly, a gold IIB associate professional member. With us today are Erica Peters, managing director and head of tech transformation at Exeger. Before joining Exeger seven years ago, Erica worked in audit compliance and regulatory functions for financial institutions in New York, a very valuable background for her bank clients at Exeger. We also have Laura Tolchin, Director, Environmental, Social and Corporate Governance Client Engagement Lead, where she helps clients understand how to measure and account for ESG risk. Laura is studying for her MBA at Columbia and is a former Fulbright Scholar in Brazil. And finally, John Ball, Managing Director, Head of Analytics and Exeger Intelligence. He helps clients leverage data and analytics to drive decision-making. John's very familiar to IIB audiences. He's an engineer by training and came from the FBI and the U.S. Navy, where he worked in submarines and research and development. So welcome, Erica, Laura, and John, and thanks for being with us today. So let's jump right in. The foundation of any risk management framework is the data and the risk assessment. We can consider the data as the building material and the risk assessment as the plans. Together, they identify in-scope risks, quantify them, spot mitigants, align controls, and establish the residual risk. In thinking about how developments in data and risk management impact the cybersecurity domain specifically from the perspective of vendor risk management, Erica, given your role at Exeger, how are you seeing the increasing pressures on companies for strong cybersecurity and operational resilience changing how they manage their vendor or supplier risk?
0: So what, um, What we've seen, obviously, is through the credit crisis, um, you know, operational resilience and all that is extremely important. And it's been a focus for a while. Now, through the pandemic, um, it's kind of taken it to a whole other different level. Um, As we know, the cybersecurity and infrastructure security agency um, in the United States consider the financial sector a US critical infrastructure sector. The U.S. government has been really focused on it, and obviously the banks are super focused on it. Um, But just protecting your own internal processes and your data is, is pretty tough. But, you know, these banks are relying on a large number of vendors to help them with that. And I think through the pandemic, especially, that pressure has gone up because many of the banks had to take their data into the cloud where maybe they hadn't before. Um, if they had before, maybe they're looking at it slightly different. And so that what they need to do is really look at, just like the, the government is, the government is looking at you know who are our critical infrastructures. Now the bank, being one of them, has to think about who are our critical vendors? Who are the vendors who are keeping our lights up um, at night? And assess that from a risk assessment perspective. And then go through a much more rigorous inquiry, I would say. Um, With that, you know, they are um, asking a lot more questions way above uh, beyond the reputational or regulatory type of risks. You know, those types of things are just not sufficient anymore they need to be much more comprehensive you know the they're looking at financial health are they going to be able to make it through a potential pandemic and continue helping us do what we need to do they'll be looking at their operational resilience what are they doing internally and as well as their cyber um resilience and so what you can do is you know there's a lot much more data out there you have companies like security scorecard who have made data on cyber risk available um, for your own company as well as your vendors who you are heavily relying on Um, and outside of that I would say you know another thing that we're the pressure is on on banks is to validate that data as well and really think about how is um, it is what I'm seeing accurate and how can I maybe verify and validate that um, to ensure that we, the bank, are operational resilient and that we are secure from cyber threats. So I think that that um, kind of sums up in, the, in the, the key areas that I would say are a step up um, from before.
1: Erica, one of the questions that we hear so much um, or topics of discussion is, you know, how far down the chain do you have to go both in terms of, you know, with stat uh, um, analyzing the risks, you know, your vendors, your suppliers, Well, how about their vendors and their suppliers and that data chain, you know, both the, 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 um, quality of that data? What what are you advising people on that?
0: Yeah, we, we at Exeger kind of see, I mean, we look at supply chain risk management, you know, for many of our corporates. And I think in the banking world, it's kind of the, it's a similar story from your vendor perspective. And I think it, it does need to take a risk-based approach. Um, you would want to look at your critical vendors and depending on how critical they are, you may want to know, who are they using and how are they staying operationally resilient or who are they relying on? And I do think it could go um, two to three levels down depending on you know the criticality of that particular vendor. Um, but I also think that there are ways um, to think about it in terms of alternatives. And knowing who a a potential alternative vendor could be, you know, God forbid something does happen. So I know, for example, if you have um, certain, uh, what's it called, Um, infrastructures in place, let's say in certain locations, you may need to move them to another location. Um, And so you may have alternative vendors for that.
1: Laura, how can new data sources help the risk assessment process? from a cyber and operational resiliency perspective.
2: Yeah, thank you so much, Bridget. And and thank you again for for hosting us here today. It's such a pleasure to be with you. Um, Well, you know, I think what we're seeing today is not only, you know, a huge kind of new availability of different data sources, but as Erica was saying, new risk areas themselves being brought into traditional risk management are really being taken from sort of niche areas into the mainstream. So we're seeing rapid expansion of risk management strategies to include resiliency questions, questions of cybersecurity, and questions around environmental, social, and governance risk, and environmental, social, social and governance good health. And so, you know, finding the right data sources to make sure that you as a financial institution are getting a single and and commensurate view of these different areas of risk is hugely important. Um, You know, as Erica mentioned, we we have a partner security scorecard in the area of cybersecurity, which is a great example of, you know, a trusted and corroborated data source. In the cyber or in the operational resiliency space, um, you know, data is kind of you know just widely available these days but making sure that you're getting good data trusted data is probably step number one um, and ties directly into that risk assessment process on top of that what you don't want is fragmented or siloed pieces of data that are looking at risks from different perspectives different angles or different methodologies essentially having kind of fragmented or siloed risk assessments is not going to be helpful in developing a effective or you know, even efficient comprehensive risk management strategy for, for a bank. So the last thing what you want is data overload and data incommensurability, data that's kind of being viewed differently with different risk methodologies and so on. You know, I think similar to that, as we're seeing new risk areas coming into the mainstream like resiliency, like ESG, like cyber, you know, there's also an opportunity here to kind of break down those fragmentations or silos or walls across an organization's departments and units. I think historically what you've seen is some niche areas or or what was seen as niche, niche areas of risk being managed or owned by separate departments. And I think where we're really speaking to our clients now is about how can you really consolidate these different types of risk. It can, you know, kind of mainstream or streamline the, the methodologies that are used to assess them and create a single, commensurate, you know, uh, easy to understand aggregated view of risk across different risk areas that may still take into account sort of, you know, differences and nuances. Of course, you know, credit risk is different than cyber risk. So you need methodologies that account for that. But just creating that single view um, that allows kind of toggling and flexibility among the different risk areas is hugely important. And, you know, that can and should be mirrored in the way that an organization is viewing and owning that risk itself. So I think, you know, these are really kind of top of mind questions for our clients today um, and will be hugely important going forward, ensuring that cyber risk, operational resiliency, even ESG risk, which is gaining, you know, a lot of steam these days is managed in a, in a really kind of streamlined, consistent, commensurate way.
1: Great. That's so true, your comments about ESG risk. um, But very helpful. So, So really sort of now focusing on the data piece of it, you know, with the data often comes risk, like you can transfer the risk to the data. So how can how can firms leverage these data sources to address risk but not transfer it john thoughts yeah
3: thanks uh bridget It's um and and like uh laura said thank you again for uh for hosting this thing it's it's always great to work with you guys um so i you know i mean i think uh erica and laura brought up some really great points and you know fundamentally when you go back to this stuff the Banks are really good at collecting data, right? I mean, they have tremendous um, sources of data internally, and you know how you bring those data points together, and then ultimately analyze them is is really what we're talking about here, and that's you know going to that consolidated view that Laura was talking about. Um, but w- ultimately, when you get to this, is how do we know what questions to ask of the data? Um, So when you bring in these new data points, yes, there's risk, you know, if you start using external data providers, there's going to be risk with with that data provider. And as you said, that's transferring the risk over to that data. But what we can start to do and what the analytics is allowing is that it starts to identify the discrepancies between the data. So you have internal data that you've collected, you ask questions of your vendors, you ask questions of your clients, your customers, and you collect them, you put them in a spot. But when you're using the analytics, you start to analyze those data points and you you identify discrepancies. Um, So when you're using the external data sources that Laura was talking about and Erica was talking about, um, first of all, you want to make sure you're using a trusted data source, right? You don't want to use, you know, a fly-by-wire. So um, you got to ask some questions of that data provider, but how you bring that together and you analyze it simultaneously, it's ultimately about identifying discrepancies. And it's as simple as you know i mean i'll put it in the adverse media space um you ask a a client you know have you had any lawsuits or any legal actions they tell you no okay so you don't identify you know that that's one level if it's if there's more risk with that vendor right so say they're having access to your client data maybe you want to run a search on them to see if they actually have any legal proceedings against them um for the from the cyber side of things if you're using a firm to host um, you know your data center. Um, you can use like uh, c- Cyber um, a Security Scorecard, um, which will give you a health and wellness report on that that data or that source provider. Right? And so they'll tell you right out if their cybersecurity framework is um, is pretty solid. So um, getting back to uh, you know in the middle of all this stuff is that um, the trusted data sources. Like nobody's expected to be an expert on all of this data. Um, So you want to do what you do best and trust, you know, identify trusted data sources, um, bring people together with the technology um, and then ultimately with the data so that you can access this and pull the full full value out of all that stuff. And um, I think, Erica, if there's anything you want to add on top of that.
0: Well, I would just maybe say that um, there are a lot of great companies that are strong data aggregators using artificial intelligence and natural language processing capabilities are able to also scrape really great information from the Internet. Um, I know we talk a lot about having analysts doing Google searches or Bing searches, and I think that is another great way, um, if you have an automated way to do that, um, to to validate and, and identify those red flag discrepancies. you know, it, For example, Bureau Van Dyke might um, have the latest corporate structure um, and you know the UBOs or, or the CEOs, but on the internet you see that in recent announcement that the CEO is um, being changed. Um, that's something that you can find out sooner rather than later um, on the internet um, because some of the data sources may be outdated.
1: Great. So, Laura, back to you. How does this data access enable a more inclusive risk management process, um, specifically looking at operational resilience? Yeah, sure.
2: So, I think for those of us who are sort of risk geeks in this area, it's a really exciting time because we, again, you know, we're seeing a pretty quick and and rapid expansion of how companies are thinking about risk. And that's pretty exciting when you you stop and think about it, right? The historical or traditional kind of, you know, couple buckets that constituted um, main risk areas for financial institutions is quickly being expanded. Um, So, when you think about operational resiliency, one of the things, you know, I think why this term has caught on so much and especially kind of in in this past year is that really, you know, encompasses all different types of risk. We have learned very quickly that resiliency, you know, it means credit risk. It means financial crime risk. It means ESG risk. It means cyber risk, right? There are so many different ways that we need to act as organizations to really uh, protect ourselves and account for these different risk areas. So the data that's available, you know, as John and Erica was saying, is, is, has evolved so quickly and really so in such an amazing way to kind of allow for this more inclusive, more um, really realistic uh, idea of, of capturing risk and, and creating operational resiliency. You know, I think going back to my earlier comment, what I think, you know, is important for financial institutions and other organizations to, to really remember is just because, you know, we are expanding traditional areas of risk management and bringing in new data sources and accounting for different areas of risk, that doesn't mean that they all have to be treated equal. And so I think in my last comment, I talked about, you know, creating a kind of a commensurate risk methodology so that you were kind of comparing apples to apples when you're thinking about different areas of risk. That is definitely true. But, you know, there are models out there that allow for from a kind of bird's eye view, board level kind of perspective allow you to emphasize certain areas of risk in certain business needs, right? So, you know, you might have a department within a bank that that truly does care more about credit risk than they care about ESG risk, and that's okay. And having these types of sort of risk models that allow for that type of nimbleness or flexibility when it comes to to kind of pushing the lever on one type of risk and, and you know, put, putting it off a little bit on a different type of risk doesn't mean that it's not an inclusive risk uh, strategy, doesn't mean that we're not thinking about risk uh, and operational resiliency across all of the areas that we should. It just means that, you know, different business departments have different needs. And that's, you know, that that should be built into any risk model. Um, so again, I think this is in a super exciting time when we think about data access and and sort of, expanding traditional areas of risk. Um, I I think from an ESG and a resiliency perspective, we're learning that, you know, these risks can and should be managed. And if they do, you know, it's good for you. It's good for business. um, And that they can sit alongside more traditional areas of risk without de-emphasizing or sort of taking the place of that risk. So, you know, all in all, very, very optimistic about where we're going from a risk management uh, perspective.
1: Thank you, Laura. John, last year, COVID, and continuing, you know, today, drove a lot of regulatory attention on the operational resilience of banks from... Uh, IT continuity management, remote access demands, and overall cyber security posture. How can we measure this in the risk assessment process?
3: Yeah, that's a, a great question. And you, you can't have a podcast or a conversation today if you don't bring COVID into it, right?
1: You cannot. That's a rule.
3: <laughs> so, yeah, I, you know, I mean, I think, you know, first how I'll answer that is like, uh, I, I think that the first thing that COVID did. Um, obviously while changing the the landscape quite a bit, but um, it really demonstrated that this is, these are not tick the, you know, I mean, it it made it real, right. I mean, these are not tick the box exercises. There's a reason why you had, you do all this legwork in the background because you don't have the time when these things happen to then stand up a framework to deal with the issue Uh, is, you know, so it's, you you can't fight a fire, um, while you're trying to find the the water hose, right, or the source of water to fight the fire. It doesn't really work. In um, risk assessment processes, historically, they, they take a long time. You know, I mean, like you think about some of the risk assessment processes. I mean, they, they take six months just to get them through the whole, um, through the whole thing. And then you, then you take the next six months to get the, the approvals done, after you get through the whole collecting of the, the data, analyze the data, identify the you know the the controls the alignment and then ultimately the mitigations um, to the point where you're at where you're, you're actually executing the risk management which is okay here's the risk here's my control my residual risk do i accept that am i going to mitigate it further or am i going to totally like get out of that because i, I don't accept the risk um, so where where we're going today i mean it's moving more towards the dynamic risk uh, versus a static Uh, risk management process. And, you know, these things are changing, you know, the the other thing that happened on the back, you know, um, which falls right in line with this was the number of uh, cybersecurity incidents that were identified globally last year. Um, And and those are, those are not separate events, right? I mean, like COVID drove a lot of remote access demands on institutions, corporates, the government, the U S government had to deal with it as well. And then in conjunction with that, a lot of weaknesses in the, in the cyber secure, you know, firewalls, um, software that were being used, um, were exploited. They were identified and exploited by bad actors. And, and that, that all came to light, um, during, the, during the last year. And so driving the, the risk assessment process to a more dynamic, um, situation so that you can manage those things. The bad actors are not going to sit by, they're going to take advantage of these, these events. And so, um, how, how the risk assessment process becomes a little more streamlined and a little um, more dynamic, right? I mean, it, it needs to, to adjust to that. And that's where, um, you know, like everything that we talked about on this call or on this podcast today is really, it, it's driving towards that, right? We're getting better access to the data. Um, we're, we have better analytic capabilities to, to identify the discrepancies or the red flags or however you want to refer to it. That can inform our decision making. That can then inform, you know, basically which risk management um, technique we're going to use in, in order to deal with that risk. And it doesn't matter. And it, it's the same thing with the, the environmental and the social, the um, ESG risks that mm-hmm. that you're pulling into the whole thing. So how do you, how do you measure it? Um, well, it's 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 no different. It's really just compressing the timeline, quantifying it, um, asking the questions. Um, Laying out the mitigants and, and then ultimately taking a decision that's around that um, and, and having that single view of all of those items together so that you can prioritize whatever risk is going to drive your framework. So I'm not sure if my colleagues want to add anything on that. Uh, they usually have much more uh, eloquent answers than I do. So,
1: Well, John, you're always great at tying everything together, but let's see if Erica um, and Laura have any last words as well
0: i was just going to add that um you know in order to do everything that john um, laid out which is absolutely accurate it is adding in that layer of automation um which really at this point is something that we can do um a lot of our clients are you know looking for the automation to help reduce the manual piece reduce the errors um tagging of these risks from the data so that you can really figure out where does it fit in the risk assessment and then monitoring so if you're looking at your vendors you know who are the ones that you need to monitor very frequently to keep adding into that dynamic picture um, or less frequently Um, so i think that that's just all i would add laura no,
2: I would agree. I think uh, John and, and Erica captured it. And Bridget, it's been a pleasure. Um, thank you so much.
1: We appreciate your time and expertise, your generosity in sharing it with our listeners and and IIB members. You're a very valuable contributor um, and supporter of the IIB. And this is A very pressing topic. Um, You know, John, you mentioned we can't have a podcast without mentioning COVID. We also can't have a discussion without talking about operational resilience, and having this, uh, you know, sort of deep dive on the data piece of it is really helpful. So thank you for your time, and we look forward to talking again soon.
3: Great. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you.
0: Thank you again for joining us for Bank Talk with the Institute of International Bankers. We hope you enjoyed, and we hope to see you again soon for the next episode.